Hello and good evening. You're welcome to Reader's Hour on Quarantine FM. You're joined by your hosts, Catherine Gallagher and Anna Dalton. In Reader's Hour, we'll be taking a look at Irish literature across the board from fiction, drama, essays, poetry, journalism and everything in between. On today's show, we are going to hear from Ellie O'Neill and later on we'll be chatting about some hand-picked festive pieces by Irish writers. But first of all, we're going to continue on, I suppose, what is best described as our leave insert Irish poets and writers. And this week we are dealing with Ivan Boland. Ivan Boland didn't come up on my leave insert, but came up for Anna. She Anna, did. what are the, the the things maybe that you most enjoy about Boland's work? Um. Well, I enjoyed having her on the Leaving Cert selection. Um, I think she she just made such a huge impact in Irish poetry, and I feel like we you and I end up talking a lot about the history of women writers. But Absolutely. I mean, there's no way of talking about. Ivan Boland without discussing her being a pioneer in that field and finding a voice in Irish literature and particularly in Irish poetry that was totally new you know into what was a very male dominated space the the ghost of Yeats looming large um and writing a very different kind of of poem um talking about you know different experiences of motherhood of of life um i think and of history but looking perhaps at neglected histories and that includes the history of women's experience in ireland and fi- found a new way of of writing about that so i thought yeah she was she was a wonderful poet to have in the mix for the leaving cert and beyond yeah she's she her legacy is huge one of the things that does come up about her quite a lot is how she dealt with writing about kind of the intimacies of everyday life, you know, incorporating things like, you know, maybe being a stay-at-home mother and, you know, the kind of humming of the washing machine and like arms on the on the windowsill looking out and, and those kind of very intricate kind of, kind of, almost seemingly seemingly like kind of the the intimate kind of mundaneness of our everyday lives and and living in like Dublin suburbia you know and 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 what what went on there for her when she was living in Dublin um but who who was she like her background um her her parents her her mum was was a painter yeah so she was born in Dublin in 1944 and yeah not the typical upbringing I'd imagine because her her mother was a painter an expressionist painter and her father was a diplomat and they actually met in Paris where her mother was um living there at the time to learn painting I think was studying um and her father was placed there um as a diplomat and they met so yeah and they lived in, in Dublin and then as a child, she actually moved to London when she was about five or six and was there for um, maybe six to eight years. I think maybe yeah, about eight years and then moved back 
to go to secondary school and college in Dublin. She went to Trinity and she she spoke about that time in London as quite alienating. I think didn't find a home there, um, you know, and I think she she has mentioned in interviews that being Irish in London at that time post Second World War mm-hmm. was very difficult and there was actually a lot of Irish anti-Irish sentiment. Um, but so she moved back to Ireland and then she travelled kind of after that and ended up living a large portion of her life in America. And she taught for a couple of decades, a few decades at Stanford University um, teaching creative writing. And I think I think teaching kind of in, in the English department generally and giving lectures on poetry, but a, a fixture in the in the creative writing department there as well. And you mentioned something just before we started recording very interesting about Yvan Boland. I was saying that, you know, in, in interviews, I, I hadn't heard much of her actually speaking before. So I went through uh, a YouTube rabbit hole and I watched some interviews and I said to Anna, she actually developed a little bit of an American twang. And you had something interesting to say about how when it was tried to be claimed that she was an American poet. Yeah, so I was reading an interview with her in the Georgia Review from 2019 and um, I was very struck by it. So she was being interviewed by an American interviewer who was asking her, basically asked her, you know, you've lived in America a long time now. Um, And what would you say to people who would consider that, you know, maybe you could be classified as an American poet now? And she just shut it down and she said, I'm an Irish poet that informs the poetry I write. It's very particular. And she actually spoke a lot about being influenced by Irish oral um, literature and that that has shaped the literary culture, which you and I have chatted about on the show before. And that's something Mm -hmm. that she felt very strongly. So she kind of made that difference of, you know, the American poetic tradition is very different, doesn't usually have the same rootedness in the oral tradition. Native American poetry probably would, but I think the kind of the mainstream American tradition of the likes of Emily Dickinson or Robert Lowell, those, you know, that doesn't have that same history. So she was very particular about that. And then at another point, the interviewer said to her, oh, well, you know, how did you feel about leaving Ireland to go and teach in America? And she said, I didn't leave Ireland. And she said she was very particular about going back every 10 weeks. You know, she lived yeah. a large part of the year in Ireland. But I think what came across as a, a very, it was, you know, maybe not defensive, but just a very strong sense of self and of her identity as an Irish poet and very firm to let people know that as well. And one thing I heard her being asked about what are the differences, do you think, between Irish poetry and American poetry? And she said, you know, in Ireland, you know, the, the, the literacy what wasn't there when, when poetry was being written at the time. That's, and that's partly how the oral tradition came about as well, but that people came to the poetry much later, you know, mm-hmm. after the fact. And in America, it was a different story. People were reading it. You know, it was it was more common that, that Americans would be reading it and following it as it came out because the 
the literacy rate would have been um much you know much more significantly better better yeah. than here at the time which i think is very interesting and a lot of her early poetry focused on like we said you know domestic concerns marriage children and like i had said her home suburb of dublin uh, but it was later with her collection of own image and then a couple of years later after that night feed uh, both of those collections put a spotlight on her for being a pioneer like we said of feminist issues mm-hmm. on a more global scale and she would have it's particularly in, in her own image wrote about domestic abuse anorexia breast cancer and infanticide as well so her work was very controversial and again a common thread or a common thing that we uh, have talked about on the show is how society and how the powers that be but I suppose more so here maybe society wasn't ready you know in the 20th century you know even the early mid to sometimes the late 20th century to hear some of these seemingly you know either very everyday topics like you know motherhood um or you know things like domestic abuse and and so on but I think what we might do now is we've picked about three poems of Yvonne Boland's that we're going to read. Night Feed here was from her collection Night Feed from 1982 and this poem I suppose I think it speaks for itself I don't think I need to add anything to it but shortly after she she died and this was a poem that would have been circulating quite a lot Along with the the last poem that Anna will be reading, um, Night Feed is, is, I think, is a personal favourite of a lot of people. So, Night Feed. This is dawn. Believe me, this is your season, little daughter. The moment daisies open, the hour mercurial rainwater makes a mirror for sparrows. It's time we drowned our sorrows. I tiptoe in, I lift you up, wriggling in your rosy zipped sleeper. Yes, this is the hour for the early bird and me, when finder is keeper. I crook the bottle, how you suckle, this is the best I can be, housewife to this nursery where you hold on, dear life. A silt of milk, the last suck, and now your eyes are open, birth-coloured and offended, earthquakes. You go to sleep, the feed is ended. Worms turn, stars go in, even the moon is losing face. Poplars stilled for dawn, and we begin the long fall from grace, I took you in. Yeah, so that is night feed. It's lovely. It's, it's re- it really is. And do you know what? It actually puts me in mind a bit of um, what I've mentioned on the show before during Negrifa, her latest book, yeah. um, A Ghost in the Throat, because there's actually there's a lot about her kind of having small children and having a new baby and breastfeeding and being in the house and the rituals of that. 
all around that, you know, and I, I kind of just hear the echoes of that in this in this poem of Boland's. But it's really it's 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 just captures something about that moment, that time and night, you know, when it's just the two of them having this, you know, really special but very familiar and, you know, everyday encounter with each other. And it's just lovely. So I'm going to read Quarantine. So this is from a later collection, um, a collection called Domestic Violence, which came out in 2007. So we did pick it for the year that was in it because <laughs> it does uh, it does ring, ring um, familiar with some of the experiences we've had in the last year. Quarantine. In the worst hour of the worst season, of the worst year of a whole people, a man set out from the workhouse with his wife. He was walking. They were both walking north. She was sick with famine fever and could not keep up. He lifted her and put her on his back. He walked like that west and west and north, until at nightfall under freezing stars they arrived. In the morning they were both found dead, of cold, of hunger, of the toxins of a whole history. But her feet were held against his breastbone. The last heat of his flesh was his last gift to her. Let no love poem ever come to this threshold. There is no place here for the inexact praise of the easy graces and sensuality of the body. There is only time for this merciless inventory. Their death together in the winter of 1847. Also, what they suffered, how they lived, and what there is between a man and woman, and in which darkness it can best be proved. A relatively short piece, but also so just, it tells a whole story, you know. Tells a whole story and the the imagery in it, you know, um, this is, I think her inspiration for this was in around the time of the famine, mm-hmm. and um, even though it's you know different circumstances in a way to to this year obviously, but a lot of that you know the kind of the duty of care and consideration and wanting to be close and wanting all of that is so, you know, relevant. And so it's very much an ever-present um, concern or need for families this year. And I think mm-hmm. it's just, oh, it's just unbelievable how, you know, relevant it is to us this year I know I it's so true because it's totally different context but I just Mm. honestly that image of holding his holding her feet against his breastbone is just it kind of stops you in your tracks I think because it's that that selfless love you know in the midst of just you know they're wasting away so it's really really moving and I think you're right that it's short, but she does so much in in those few lines and that she does have a quite a few poems like that. You know, it's very different style, very different tone to the poem that, you know, we just heard from you. 
I think sometimes mm-hmm. she does, you know, go for a style that has quite like short clipped sentences, but they just they capture so much in them. And the last poem from Ivan Boland, this was eviction and it was published on actually the day that she died. It was. It was published coincidentally on the day of her death by the New Yorker. So this is back in April. Eviction. Back from Dublin, my grandmother finds an eviction notice on her door. Now she's in court for rent arrears. The lawyers are amused. These are the petty sessions. This is Drogheda. This is the bank holiday. Their comments fill a column in the newspaper. Was the notice well served? Was it served at all? Is she a weekly or a monthly tenant? In which one of the plaintiff's rent books is she registered? The case comes to an end, is dismissed. Leaving behind the autumn evening. Leaving behind the room she entered. Leaving behind the reason I have always resisted history. A woman leaves a courtroom in tears. A nation is rising to the light. History notes the second, not the first. Nor does it know the answer as to why, on a winter evening, in a modern Ireland, I linger over the page of the Drogheda Argus and Leinster Journal, 1904, knowing as I do that my attention has no agency, none at all, nor my rage. another thought-provoking poem yes it is um and i think this is what something that we mentioned of her looking at personal histories and perhaps you know this is something that you mentioned before we recording of this distinction between history with a capital h and official Mm. histories and then the history of ordinary people and of women which doesn't get glorified, doesn't even get written about. And here, I think, you know, she obviously has a personal connection to it because it's her grandmother's story of, you know, being evicted. And I think she just really powerfully unpacks how that is treated, you know, very coldly, very detachedly in the newspapers of rent and arrears and, you know, registry and you know, just filtering out the dates when behind that is a person who, you know, for whatever reason is turfed out. Anna, you were speaking to Ellie O'Neill this week. What did you get up to? What did you talk about? Yes. So I was having a chat with writer and musician and songwriter Ellie O'Neill, um, who was chatting to me. The first thing we were talking about is a journal called Moving that she co-founded in Trinity College. Um, in 2019, which was the first journal in Trinity to have, I suppose, like an explicit welcome for queer writing and queer art. Um, so she chatted to me a bit about that. And then we we're also speaking about a course she did in the Irish Writers' Centre recently, a workshop and a little bit about her music as well and sort of kind of different connections and movements between songwriting and writing 
um, creatively in kind of more literary sense as well. So I just thought I'd like to speak to you about it because, yeah, I mean, I knew you told me a bit about this at the time when you started it last year. So, yeah, do you want to just maybe tell me about the journal and kind of how it started? Yeah, um, so it was actually uh, with my friend Grace, who I met on Erasmus. Um, and when we came back, then she kind of had seen there was a call out for funding for a new um, Trinity publications. And she asked me if if I had any ideas. And I was like, yeah, let's definitely do this. And we came up with this idea to have kind of like, um, well, actually, we, we looked into it and there had never been any journals for like specifically queer writing or like um, art in Trinity. So we were like, OK, this is definitely something that we should have, that Trinity should have anyway. And we both felt like we would do do well kind of being behind something like that. So that was kind of pretty much where we came up with the idea for it. Um, and in terms of the title, it was like moving was a prompt as well for the for the work that people were going to submit. Um, and like kind of in any way that you interpreted the word moving. So uh, where I was coming from was like, well, maybe things that have moved you, if you want to write about them, if you want to write things that their, their purpose is to move others or, you know, anything along those lines. And then we kind of expanded that to be like any interpretation of the word moving. Um, Grace's really interesting kind of insight about that was the way that a lot of like the community of queer people in Trinity um, had moved from you know outside of Dublin to go to college and the whole movement uh, like in in tandem with your coming out or you know coming into terms with queerness in college so yeah. that was another interesting angle that we had when you were like coming up with that idea for it and putting it out there like did you have a sense of that there was like people that you'd talk to like fellow students who maybe were kind of looking for a journal like that or did you just think this should exist so let's just put it out there and then we'll kind of you know like yeah. publicize that and get people we know to submit or mm, I think it was probably a combination of all three um probably I mean, it, we were in third year. It was like the end. It was the second. No, sorry, we were in final year. It was the start of final year. So up until then, like, we hadn't, I mean, I hadn't seen any Trinity publication where I've, I'd been like, cool, I can really, really see myself in that, mm -hmm. like, to a T, um, in terms of, like you're saying, a loose prompt and also, um, you know, like, in that kind of, like, queer arena. So, yeah, I think it was definitely a combination of knowing people like our community of friends and stuff in college, like make everyone making different types of art um, and identifying in some way along that kind of spectrum. Also, yeah, it came from a place of like this should exist by now, you know, yeah. something like this should exist by now. And like, why doesn't it? So it was good that it, w it got a really good response. Um, yeah. Yeah that's cool so you, did you get like quite a lot of submissions and then you had a launch for it and everything yeah we got a good few submissions um and we put our own 
like we really wanted to do a, a nice launch so we put a bit of our own funding into that uh, and I think it was worth it it was really worth it um to have the nice like kind of gathering of people um yeah but yeah we had loads of submissions as well the first time a lot of people we knew but also people we didn't know for, like from younger years as well which was really nice that is really nice I'm just mm. thinking actually talking about there not being a journal like that before and that being quite like like in, in some ways quite a like a significant real gap in the publications or whatever art forms that like Trinity pubs was working with I know wasn't there the journal Nemesis which is also mm. pretty new I think that was only like a year or two like maybe two or three years ago that that was started which is I think isn't it a feminist focused kind yeah. of journal but also like creative writing mm. Yeah, yeah, that um, definitely was the closest thing I'd say that it it came like that's the, the closest thing to moving that was in existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and also very new. Mm. Um, so yeah, because it is one of those things that Icarus, you know, is great, but it it's it's like I feel like it's a very particular space, and it has this thing of being like it's Ireland's longest standing journal, so it has this like mm. gravitas to it. I also yeah. find like people different editors do very different things with it you know because obviously the you know the editors will change every year and people have very different visions of what they want from it but it it mm -hmm. often does lean towards maybe like particular forms like short story and kind of prose um it depends like there's some in some year I'm trying to think of when I was in Trinity some years were riskier kind of in terms of what they published I thought or like their kind of curatorial vision than mm -hmm. others but there was mm -hmm. quite there were definitely a few years when it was a bit like you kind of ex knew what sort of thing would be in there yeah and it was almost like even like visually on the page stuff that looked quite similar of like blocks of yeah. text you know what I mean it was like a, quite a particular style yeah yeah I, I understand what you mean I don't know how to uh, like fully articulate it either but there's definitely like a vibe mm-hmm that yeah. you would expect from it yeah yeah I feel like moving was way more like mismatched not mismatched but like like you know diff a lot of different things were in there there was like a lot of color and then there was like blocks of text and then there was um just a lot of different forms which was really nice that loads of people had like completely different interpretations of what the prompt was yeah um and also because it was so like loose you could kind of like we had the freedom to to put stuff into it that we just really liked that you know could in some way be interpreted as having responded to the prompt yeah. so yeah that was totally. nice yeah that is really yeah. nice mm. um yeah that's cool so and now that you are so you've obviously you're finished your degree now mm -hmm. got managed to get that done in 2020 <laughs> Um, yeah. but you were saying to me that there's like an issue, you like a second issue is maybe kind of in the works a bit. Oh yeah. Or, or do you think it's like is the journal gonna continue on beyond yeah. you and Grace? I really wanted to. Um. Yeah. We have got a second issue. Like all the submissions are there. We're working on it, but just I think we were very particular. Uh, when it, like when the pandemic hit we were already taking submissions so we were like okay we'll take a break and see what happens and then mm, we really wanted to print it mm -hmm. like we wanted to have print editions 
not just not just online um i don't know i just i i just prefer it like it's it's just a bit yeah. of a personal taste thing uh so we were putting it off until we could print it so probably in the next while we'll be able to if yeah. things start to to open up again uh but yeah definitely we're gonna do a second issue and then hopefully find people who would like to continue it who are still in college um because yeah. it would be so nice to keep it going did you work on layout and everything with grace or did you um, get someone to help you with that yeah we did well grace to be fair did most of the layout work <laughs> she really loved indesign she just oh, loved wow. it she was god thank she, god yeah, <laughs> I know, thank God. To have somebody I was... who wants to do it. It's so I know. She'd be like, I actually kind of like it. I was like, okay, go for it. Um, and then I sort of did the like event side of it. So it worked out. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was actually a lot of work, but it was really enjoyable because we worked together really well. Um, and like, I don't know, for example, we had a poem from Mary Dorsey like an unpublished poem that she oh. put in for it which was amazing wow um but she really wanted obviously for a published poet like uh, we really wanted to make sure we did that right mm-hmm. so we were kind of back and forth with her a good bit and there was some line changes last minute stuff that she wanted and you know proofs and stuff which like was not a problem it was just like there was more work yeah there than we had maybe anticipated but it was it was really 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 nice in the end to have yeah, that I'm for sure and when you're doing yeah. a print publication as well it's like once it's printed it's printed and exactly <laughs> yeah it. like it's yeah oh, it's tough yeah and I think Grace and I share a little nice bit of perfectionism so we didn't yeah. want to just you know we put it we did want to have it right so yeah that's good yeah and I wanted to ask you as well about your songwriting because you know you're an amazing musician and I wanted I guess I don't know because so do you first of all I want to ask you if you write like poems obviously you write lyrics for Mm -hmm. your music and I maybe just Mm -hmm. want to ask you a bit about your songwriting process or like do you ever write poems or like write creatively that's like separately or for you is it always kind of linked to music that you want to be creating something that kind of contains both mm, um I actually when I was younger I definitely used to sort of have everything be kind of flowing into one another um but I think when you like right now I'm sort of getting closer to the idea of starting to publish things like music and other things in you know just working towards that and I do think that like I've started to kind of make clearer distinctions between this is this is musical this is you know literary this is like text only mm-hmm. um but yeah no definitely with songwriting is way less conscious I think than say writing other things um I don't really write poems uh I find it really hard to know if what I'm if if I'm trying to write a poem I find it really hard to know if it's good or not <laughs> whereas with the song you immediately know you're like yeah that's you know that's crap I'm not going to use that or like okay cool we're in it like this is happening um but I I've been writing sort of like short story stuff um and yeah that's been really really nice and kind of a bit of non-fiction as well and short story non-fiction meshing together you know um yeah I don't I, I think music and writing are obviously 
very have similarities but in my head they're they're, they're separate now yeah which is nice because it's like you take you can't you're having a block in one you take a break go to the other um yeah cool and do you did the move towards kind of writing maybe a bit more in prose um mm-hmm. did that I don't know did the creative writing modules you mentioned did that kind of help like open that up for you was that something you were kind of steering towards yourself and just ended up being mm. a good form for you I think I've always done that uh but never like actually through doing the degree I just read so much like obviously you have to read so much and it train it does train you like whether you want it to or not how to you know notice good things and bad things mm. and um it really helped me to have a clearer style that was mine that wasn't just me whatever I was reading you know comes out in what I'm writing because obviously there's always an element of that but um I think it just refined what I have always done yeah by by studying it a bit more um and gave me a bit of permission as well you know I don't know it's it's probably it's probably like a subconscious thing that okay I now have permission to to think that I'm able to do this or something no for sure I think yeah yeah, workshops or classes are so important Mm. for that I think and maybe something mm-hmm. about having like the community of the people who are like are in your yeah. class or your workshop and it feels like yeah it's like you're all kind of you, you're a bit made a bit vulnerable and yeah the permission thing is really important and I hear it so much from writers yeah. talking about that but I think it's it's huge because otherwise mm-hmm. you can start to feel like yeah like I don't you know god I don't remember one like I don't have time for this and it gets hard to make the time but also, yeah. yeah, I don't know if, you know, why am I bothering to do this anyway? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I think as well, well, where I, where I was kind of coming from was more like, I have to do this. I don't know why, but I have to do it. But now I can do it and feel like, I don't know, it's fine. Like, I was already already doing it, but maybe being like, I don't really know. Like, it was very unclear. And I, I just feel like it's a little bit more. Also, I don't have the distraction of having to do college work. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the true. guilt of just oh, not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, God. But I, I did. Yeah. I, I did a really nice workshop with Neve Campbell over lockdown. Ooh, uh, cool. Do you know her? I, I know her name. Um, Where was that through? She has. Oh, it was the Irish Writers Centre. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, they put on loads of really, really cool stuff. Yeah. But her novel, she, she just had a novel this year called This Happy. It's amazing. Um, okay. And that was it. really helpful. Yeah, absolutely get on it. But yeah, that was really helpful. Um, having feedback from from people in, in that workshop as mm. well. So yeah. So how did that work? Was that like a virtually facilitated thing or was that in person? Yeah, Zoom. Yeah. It was a Zoom Zoom thing, yeah. Which is yeah. fine. Yeah. I mean, better than nothing. Yeah. True. So were how big a group was it? curiosity was there maybe like eight people mm-hmm. I think there was around eight people it was it was like um you know every every session you have a different someone else's text that you're cool. taking apart just standard kind of setup but it was just really nice um to kind of have a little bit of structure where there's no structure on anything yeah know? I totally get that I actually mm. must because it's been a really long time since I've done any kind of workshop like that but I don't know why mm. I've left it so long because I found 
I did a poetry kind of summer school thing before and I've I honestly made me so creative like I wrote more poems yeah. in that space of time than I have ever done before or since you know in such a short period of time yeah. and I felt like it, it yeah. just yeah it, there were so many I just loved that as well I loved hearing other people's writing I find that so like motivating because you're just like oh my god like that person's yeah. writing was just so cool today and then you go away from it and it makes you want to it just like gets your own kind of juices mm. flowing which is really nice it definitely does yeah there's something about reading like not drafts but like unpublished work that makes you feel like it's like there's a fence and like you're also on this side of the fence with your work you know if, if you're working on something and you read someone else's stuff that they're also working on it's like okay yeah things I'm not like by myself in this kind of like you know abyss yeah. over here what am I doing it's not a vacuum where you're working other people are also doing it you know yeah. so that's I think that's what I found really helpful from the workshop that's cool as well yeah I was gonna ask you so you were already telling me about the the writer center and doing the workshop but like in terms of like pandemic writing have do you feel like it's been mm -hmm. harder or easier to be creative or just like a different time to be kind of working on because I know you've been working on obviously music projects as well as creative writing but has mm. it been productive or has it been like hard to even wrap your head around writing um I feel like it comes and goes in waves like and the seasons I'm quite affected by the mm -hmm. seasons as well and um since it's been since it's been winter it's been quite hard I would say to uh to be creative I also think when you're by yourself you like definitely for me anyway I need like a good mix of absolute isolation and like extreme you know involvement with yeah. other people uh in order to be even interested in doing anything yeah you know? I totally uh, get you so I think that yeah. yeah it's definitely a balance and I think we're lacking in the balance at the moment yeah because there's times when I love being by myself but not for this such an extended yeah extended time yeah um and even being able to go to galleries or go to like live yeah. gigs and stuff like stuff like that is just that that in in real life stimulation that's I think really important for your own mm. yeah when you're trying to create something yourself yeah so I really miss that yeah it is yeah definitely and it even gives you like a bit of a break from the thing you're doing yeah you know, gives you a break from yourself <laughs> true <laughs> like right now we're just with ourselves yeah the whole I time. know I know and the dark days and you're just like oh no it's already oh evening gosh, again and oh, Jesus yeah <laughs> I know yeah so I would say yeah it's probably it, it's just a funny time as well to be to not have to be in the library but want more than anything to be in the library <laughs> you know I'm like wow we didn't know what we yeah. had you know yeah it's so true like I find mm. that because me and you were both studying during this past year like I was doing my master's and I I really mm. miss that as well especially when you're doing the extended project of like dissertation or like a really long essay and yeah. just like not being able to step out of library have a coffee with someone just like vent or be like I don't know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about I don't know what I'm reading yeah I don't know what's happening so I, I honestly yeah. just laugh at how little time you have left yeah, exactly like, yeah. and just be like having it, it like it's just those instead of being able to vent those comments they just like 
start to like circle around your brain. I used to, <laughs> it was just really awful. I was like sitting in, up in the attic yeah. of my house, like rocking back and forth, being like, oh, my God, <laughs> I volunteered to do I this. <laughs> Masters. I think that's interesting as well about having to funnel your love for something into, uh, you know, an academic project and how different it is now when I'm just kind of reading whatever I want to read because I want to read it. I'm not reading it because it's on a reading list and I'm then writing my own stuff and bringing that into the writing in whatever way I yeah. want. And, you know, it it doesn't have to be at all. There's no there's no rules. And I think that's been really nice since graduating and just, you know, having some time to write as well. It really makes me feel very like how I feel when I read Blewett's or something, you yeah. know, they're all of these literary references are coming up in like the most beautiful ways mixed yeah. in with just the everyday. That's, that's Maggie um, Nelson, is it? Yeah. 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 I haven't actually yeah. read that. No, Sorry. no. Yeah, I know. I've heard of it. I really <laughs> want to read it because I actually have been recommended it a couple of times. So I need to. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's I read it. I just reread it there again and was like, yeah, every time I, I think every time there's going to be more that you can take yeah. from it. It's just one of those books. There's a lot to be learned from writing academically and then yeah. letting go. I think that's where the change, I kind of see that when I'm writing now. That's where the change comes is when you've gone, it's like you have to learn the rules to not mm-hmm. obey them, you know. Um, it's kind of the same in music. To be able to create something new, you have to know something old so well that you can break yeah. away from it or something. That's cool. Um, yeah, and I wanted to ask you a bit yeah. about music because even though this is Reader's Hour, Quarantine FM is a huge supporter mm-hmm. of Irish musicians <laughs> and artists. So I think they're going to be OK with me segueing into your music. But yeah, because I that's interesting mm. to talk about. Yeah, kind of learning to write music or play music in a more structured way and then deviating from it. So because mm-hmm. I know with you, you started, mm. you know, you obviously like learn to play music, but then you started studying at BIM for a year, but you ended up mm. leaving. Yeah. So what mm. made you... What made you change? Um, well, I actually, I always wanted to do English. And then, I don't know, I just, I went to BIM because, to be honest, songwriting was what I wanted to do with my life. But studying English was what I wanted to do in college. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just take the practical option. But um, I don't know, it didn't, it wasn't for me at all, the course. Um I think I got a lot more out of the degree that I did do in in terms of learning about making art and writing and interpreting and like feeling your way through um, art that you, you know, that means something to you mm-hmm. um, than I would have in BIM. I think it can, it's definitely a good platform for launching a certain type of music career mm-hmm. or meeting you know, being in cer- in certain type of musical circles in Ireland, it's, it definitely gives a lot of opportunities for that. But I think as well at that time in my life, I wasn't ready to be there. I didn't want to be there. Yeah. Um, But I made some amazing friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Um, Yeah, no, I'm definitely happy that I, I didn't, I didn't uh, stay on there. But it was just, it was like I was a completely different musician to the musicians that BIM was looking for, I think, mm. at that time and in that stream as well. 
So, and are you, you're planning to, have you been like writing music or you have pl upcoming plans to maybe like make music or collaborate or anything? Or what are your mm. musical yeah, leanings at I, the moment? I think um, in the next year is probably the time that I'll start on the first album. Um, That's fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna. I I really want to have um, like a long, like a full length record, and I'm just gonna get started on that next year. Um, because I said that I was gonna do it when I finished my degree, and then <laughs> no, like there's not really a reason why I shouldn't. Now you know we're able to work, just not perform. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get going on that. Yeah. And hopefully we'll have some stuff, end of next year amazing all going well cool mm. yeah all right well i think that's probably yeah that's probably a good time to to finish up so just thanks so hey. much for taking the time to chat to me i'm really really glad that you were able of to course, Anna. thank you <laughs> so just thanks so much again to ellie for talking to me if you want to find out about what she's up to particularly if you want to catch any of her live streams on instagram find out if she's playing gigs or if she's putting out writing you can catch her on instagram at ellie kate lily so at e-l-l-i-e-k-a-t-e-l-i-l-y and just for the final part of the show we decided we would hand pick a couple of festive pieces poems short stories there's a book in there in the mix as well um because obviously it's our last show before Christmas and our last show before the end of the year so we just thought we would um we'd sprinkle a bit of festive festive literary cheer to you this yeah, week so definitely so we were having a look at kind of ones we like ourselves or ones that are kind of well loved um particularly here in Ireland so yeah um I mean, nearly the first one that comes to mind is Kavanagh's A Christmas Childhood. And I think it's a lot of people's favourite Christmas poem, a lot of people's favourite of, of Kavanagh's poems. It's it, it seems to be a memory poem, um, a memory poem from Kavanagh, Christmas when he was six years old. And I suppose it's, it's when the ordinary becomes extraordinary and it's it's in two different um parts actually he wrote the first he wrote um the first part in 1943 actually and then part 2 in 1940 which is interesting but um he's looking at a place from two different perspectives and I think in one part, it's kind of had the innocence of of childhood, you know, wears away, um, and 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 the the innocence of you know of life um wears away, but that Christmas can be a time where certain parts of life become a bit more magical again, or a bit more um interesting or intriguing or curious, so. I'm going to uh, do my best <laughs> to to give it a read, and um, we just thought it's it it's it's got a nice rhythm to it, hopefully, which which I might be able to convey. A Christmas childhood. One side of the potato pits 
was white with frost. How wonderful that was, how wonderful. And when we put our ears to the paling post, the music that came out was magical. The light between the ricks of hay and straw was a hole in heaven's gable. An apple tree with its December glinting fruit we saw. Oh, you, Eve, were the world that tempted me to eat the knowledge that grew in clay and death the germ within it. Now and then I can remember something of the gay garden that was childhood's. Again, the tracks of cattle to a drinking place, a green stone lying sideways in a ditch, or any common sight, the transfigured face of a beauty that the world did not touch. My father played the melodeon outside at our gate. There were stars in the morning east, and they danced to his music. Across the wild bogs, his melodeon called to Lennons and Callans. As I pulled on my trousers in a hurry, I knew some strange thing had happened. Outside in the cowhouse, my mother made the music of milking. The light of her stable lamp was a star and the frost of Bethlehem made it twinkle. A water hen screeched in the bog. Mass-going feet crunched the, wa- the wafer ice on the potholes. Somebody wistfully twisted the bellows wheel. My child poet picked out the letters on the grey stone. In silver the wonder of a Christmas townland. The winking glitter of a frosty dawn. Cassiopeia was over. Cassidy's hanging hill. I looked and three windbrook bushes rode across the horizon. The three wise kings. And old man passing said... Can't he make it talk, the melodeon? I hid in the doorway and tightened the belt of my box-pleated coat. I nicked six nicks on the doorpost with my penknife's big blade. There was a little one for cutting tobacco, and I was six Christmases of age. My father played the melodeon, my mother milked the cows, and I had a prayer like a white rose pinned on the Virgin Mary's blouse. Yeah, God, I haven't actually, I haven't heard it read in a while and it's just really nice (laughs) to hear it again. I love the, my favourite, I I think my favourite part of that is actually the second part um, when it goes on, my father played the melodeon yeah. Just reminds me a lot of home myself, but and the last verse, my father played the melodeon, my mother milked the cows. Like that's just, you know, oh, it's just so gorgeous. Just, just thinking of that, yeah. just the, the music and the farming and, you know. Yeah, and I think yeah, the image of himself. At that, you know, hiding in the doorway in his coat, you know, six Christmases of age. It's something, there's something really lovely about the way he writes about his younger self. Like it's quite, it's very tender and it's, you know, Kavanaugh can be like that. It's so funny because some of, 
some of his other poems have this kind of black humor, like, you know, a, a snarky edge to them. But I think in this, it's just sort of a very pure um, reflection or recollection of that of that time. And it is it captures something lovely about that. The scene and the neighbors, you know, about the melodian can't he make a talk? I love that line for Last some reason. going feet. Yeah, it's just he does that very well. The sort of the parish goings on or the exchanges with neighbors, which just feel very real. The other poem that we have here is, um, is Sean O'Riordan's Naman. It's um. An English translation, um, which Anna is going to yes, to read. I will. So, Ihanolignaman, which is Women's Christmas. So, it's translated from the Irish by Sarah Lundberg and Oren Ryan. So, I'll just read this one. It's one that I think, I'm not sure. It's I think it's quite well known, and um, but there'll be there'll be different translations. But I'm going to read this one. Ihanolignaman. There was fury in the storm that came last night, last night the Christmas of women, as if released from a distant bedlam, a lunatic shriek through the sky. Rattling against the gate like the gaggling of geese, roaring up the river like a bellowing bull, dousing my candle like a blow upon my mouth, an unexpected spark for anger. I hope such a storm will come to me the night I begin to die. As I return home from the dance of life, with the light of this life failing, so every moment might be filled with cries from the sky, transforming the world into a chorus of screams. So I would not hear the silence moving toward me, or feel the engine that moves me stop. Interesting, very different to what we, to what we just read from Kavanagh. Yeah, it is. It's it is. It's kind of. It's a, yeah, it's sort of a full of, I don't know, um, a dark, not a darkness to it, but it's it's quite, you know, you've got the sense of like the screams of an impending, somebody kind of reflecting on their death, but in this way that, although the picture of it is quite fearsome and you have these kind of like flashes of, of kind of almost like electricity of like a final moment. But it's also almost mm. welcoming it. Um, I don't know if it comes from that, I don't know, reflection or kind of, I suppose, recognition of the Christian message and just looking kind of towards the afterlife that I think maybe a more traditional Catholic, you know, traditional Christmas, say, from, from a, a while ago, from a few decades ago, you know, would be more rooted in that reflection of, of death. But it's, yeah, it's quite a powerful, quite a, I don't know, a striking poem. has a lot of movement to it. I do like the um, rattly, rattling against the gate, like the gaggling of geese roaring up the river like a bellowing bull. Like that just, even the vibrations in your mouth and you're saying that like bellowing bull, Mm-hmm. Um, I think I I hadn't come across that one before, so it's uh, it's gonna have to sit in the back of my mind for how I might interpret it. Yeah. I'm trying to understand the 
the link between the storm, like electricity, like you said, welcoming the end. I'm trying to see how that pertains to um the Christmas of women or like the man I'm trying to mm. understand that but I'm not um, sure about that either if there's a specific if it just kind of happens at the storm yeah you know coincides with it but it's also it's the time of year kind of brings it out as well um true yeah maybe we should have tried to read it in the in the Irish as well but we, we didn't try our hand this evening you had here then The Dead by James Joyce, Anna. Yes, yes. Well, that one is kind of the first one that popped into my mind when I was reflecting on mm. Christmas stories. But I think this, you know, it's one, it's probably one of the best known. Um, It's the last story in the collection Dubliners. It's almost a novella. It's quite long, but it's just, so it's set, it's set in 1904 and it's, the scene is sort of this dinner party being hosted by Kate and Julia Morkan in their in their home, kind of in Dublin. And then the main character is Gabriel Conroy, who's attending with his wife. And it's just sort of him. It's quite a, internal, I think, you know, him going around the party, having different encounters with people. You know, he has to give a speech and he's reflecting on that. And he's, I think as well, it captures this sort of annual gathering of, you know, they're, oh, this person's going to arrive drunk and late as usual. And, you know, the different kind of tensions in the in the social circle. It's just it's a beautiful story. It's, it's very I mean, a lot of people it goes down in often in the lists of the best uh, short stories in the English language. Time and time again, this comes up in the top. It's it's very well regarded, very well loved. And it, it has this amazing ending which I won't read because I think it's you need to just read the story and it's but it's it's kind of the winter scene and sort of a yeah kind of inward and outward coming together and yeah it's it's a lovely one there's actually a film adaptation which I have not seen but I think it does I think it does get played around Christmas I think Gorty will play it but it's um directed it's 1987 directed by John Huston starring Angelica Huston and Donald McCann and I think Colin Meany is in it as well but I think it's meant to be good actually so that's what I'm going to look out for and see if it's getting played this year so that's all we have for you this week and in fact this year on Reader's Hour our last show of 2020 we hope you enjoyed tuning in for this episode and the last few don't forget you can find us on Twitter at Reader's Hour and if you have a spare a minute and want to drop us a line over email over your holidays you can it's readershour at gmail.com and we will be sharing links to this episode um later on tomorrow but i suppose both of us want to say thanks so much for tuning in as well over the last number of episodes over the last couple of months and hopefully uh you'll be around to hear from us in the new year yeah absolutely thanks to all the listeners and happy christmas Mind yourselves, have a nice break and we'll chat to you in January. 